Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you tonight for your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy that are so full and free for us. Father, I thank you for the song that we just sang. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Father, none of these things can atone for sin. Only Christ, by his blood, can atone for our sin, can make us righteous by his resurrection. And so, Father, we give you thanks that that work is done. And I pray, Lord, that as we listen tonight, uh, Father, those of us that know you, I pray, would listen as redeemed, justified people, resting in the finished work of Christ, able to hear your word and grow by it and receive it with meekness, Father, for it is able to save us. And God, I pray for those that might be with us tonight that don't know you, Lord, that they would be made by your Holy Spirit, able to hear. Hear everything that comes, Lord, from your word. Father, help me. Help me speak, Lord. Help me be, uh, have the right spirit and the right tone. And may my words bring glory to you, Father, and help to your people. In this I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 So this morning, this was here. I didn't realize that it was here, but it says WV. I don't know what those initials stand for. But... uh, No, there'd be a the on the top of that, and it would say OSU. But whoever put this up here, I appreciate this, but I don't need—I don't chew tobacco, so I don't need one of those spit things. But thanks so much. (laughs) No, no, no. Do not rub snuff either, or date girls who do. Rich, I don't do any of those things. (laughs) No, this is good stuff. Thank you. Two weeks ago, we left uh, God's prophet Jonah floating somewhere in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. But verse 17 reveals that Jonah was mercifully rescued from drowning by a great fish. And all this was accomplished by God's sovereign appointment and design. So let me read that verse one more time. We're going to look at the same verse, but we're going to look at a, a different element of it tonight. Jonah 1.17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So God was pursuing Jonah. He was moving every circumstance in the story to get Jonah where he wanted him to be, right? The wind and the storm in verse 4, the lot falling on Jonah in verse 7. We know it was by the hand of God because of Proverbs 16.33. God appoints in Jonah. This runs through the book of a great fish, a plant, a worm, a scorching east wind. He is acting and moving all through the book so that his will gets accomplished. So the one true and living God in Jonah, we see, is a sovereign God with absolute detailed control over all things, or there is no hope whatsoever. For anything God desires to happen, to happen. Not for us, not for this world, and not for the mission. If our God is not actually sovereign, we have no guarantee that He can keep any promise that He made. If He can be thwarted ultimately, then we can't rest in His promises. That's something we, we have to face. 
We have no guarantee that the end will go according to His plan and design if God can't make it go according to His plan and design. And Jonah reveals to us in a very deep and meaningful way that God is sovereign. And this sovereignty of God is actually working for the ultimate good of mankind, not against the good of mankind. Now, before we start on this tonight, I just want to make, try to make a couple things clear so that we're all able to listen, I hope, and, uh, and, and hear God's word with, with hope and joy and peace. When I talk about sovereignty, the minute that word comes up often, I'm not talking about Calvinistic or Arminian categories tonight. That's not my concern. At the end of the day, there is some tension in the scripture that we're just going to have to be okay with. There are some things that, that we just cannot fully grasp or fully understand. And when we read God's word and as we think on God's word, we want to be able to come to it with that kind of humility. I think sometimes we demand that, that if, if, if we can't explain every sentence and understand everything or if it contradicts categories we might be more comfortable with, that somehow it, part, it has to be discarded or it has to be ignored or forgotten about it. We don't need to do that when it comes to the Scripture. What we have to be willing to bow before as we come to God's Word is the fact that Scripture does often uh, identify God as sovereign. And when we hear that, there are straw man arguments on both sides of this debate, if, if, if there's even a debate. Uh, we're tempted to throw our hands in the air when we hear that God is sovereign. If, because we say, well, if God is sovereign and God ordains all things, why do anything? Nothing matters, right? But, but we don't apply that idea consistently across Scripture. We just apply it when we are, are frustrated. In our minds, we can't explain something. So we come up with these kind of self-made arguments that help us just bowl right over a text and pretend it isn't there. And what I would say to you is there's, there's no need for that. There's, there's no need for that. There's no need for that kind of fear uh, that things might be the way they seem sometimes in Scripture. Truth, like we read in Jonah, is meant to shape the way we understand God, not our own opinions and categories or philosophies. What is clear in Scripture is that God is sovereign and that God is on mission to save sinners all at the same time, whosoever will among sinners. And He will not be deterred by man because He cannot be deterred by man, ultimately. And Jonah will reveal that salvation belongs to the Lord in 2.9, the Lord who appoints, that's the Lord who appoints in 117 and other places. So our hope, beloved, tonight is a sovereign God who asserts His authority rather than defers it to save rebels who never would have decided to follow Him on their own. He appoints to save, to carry out His eternal purposes, which include mission, right? which result in eternal life and peace for billions upon billions. And so the book of Jonah is a picture of God's relentless missionary impulse, and his determination to achieve that missionary goal. All I'm trying to say in this tonight as we work through this passage is that God is not a God who wishes and hopes, or even merely allows. We're not solving anything, by the way. When we try to talk through God's sovereign power, we don't really solve the argument 
if we simply end by saying, well, yes, God sometimes allows difficult things to happen. I want you to consider this. We haven't fixed anything in, in saying that God allows. Because if God, for example, and I'll go back, I'll go back to the example with my brother often because it was just such a, you know, a, a major moment in my life. But when my brother was in utero, when he was a, in my mom's tummy, and, um, he got the virus that he had that debilitated him so badly because she got that strain of the flu. It was just that for most of us have had that strain of the flu in our lives and it doesn't do anything. But for Andrew, it just destroyed his whole physical being, basically. I don't find refuge. And again, I'm not saying I know how to explain or understand all of this when we talk about God being sovereign. That's not my point. What I'm saying is I don't find any comfort in simply believing that God just allowed that to happen willy-nilly because it's the same thing. If God sees the cell, the virus, coming towards my brother and he takes his hands back and says, I'm going to allow that to happen, it's the same thing as if he would have said, I'm going to cause this boy to have CMV, right? It's, it's, it's the same thing. Either he's acting to prevent it or he's not acting and not preventing it. But so I don't, and I don't believe that's what happened. I don't believe God merely allowed. And I don't believe God said that baby's going to have CMV. I don't believe that. What I'm saying is I don't understand the tension that is created there between allowing and ordaining, but it's there. It's there in scripture. And as we work through it, we don't need to put ourselves in these boxes that, that say everything about what we believe when that's not the case. We, we don't have to have these theological arguments and grandstanding and disagreements. We just need to be able to say sometimes, I don't understand how that fits together. I don't understand exactly how that works. But as we work through this passage, I hope you'll see the reason that I would bring all that up. But, but what I think we are meant to take refuge in ultimately, even though we can't possibly understand the implications of it, is that God is sovereign. That statement is a biblical statement. It, we're, we're just quoting scripture. So we, we don't solve anything by denying that God is sovereign or by saying that he, you know, we don't, and nor do we completely figure him out by saying that he is. But God is sovereign. And we're going to see that as we work through this text and work through some of its implications. God makes promises, then he acts to keep them, he ordains, and he accomplishes. This is who our God is. And so when Jonah was thrown into the ocean, God did not leave things to chance for Nineveh, did he? He didn't just stand back and watch. God acted. God appointed the fish. God's appointing in Jonah is the backbone of the whole story that this God who rules and ordains and commands and commissions and appoints, what is he like? It's what the the, the text is, is asking us. It's pushing us towards that. What does this God allow to move him? What does this God allow to make him act, so to speak? This verse is one of those that sheds light on how things actually work in the world. You know, if you, if you pull all the way back, these are the kinds of things the Bible reveals, that God uses means to accomplish his ends. God has already told us how all of this will end, how everything will end. And there's no way to plan the end and be detached from the means. So God is not detached. He didn't just wind the watch and set it and let it go. God is sovereign over creation. He's working, and that's where we want him to be. That's nothing to fear. And it, it's not for, for seminaries and theological categories to wrestle through and then tell all the rest of us what we're supposed to think either. 
Okay? It's just that God is sovereign. God could have just made it so that Jonah was on land, right? He could have done that. He created everything out of nothing with the word of his mouth. We know from the ministry of Jesus that he can come and go. He can appear and disappear. He can walk on water as he pleases. And here, God sends a fish, just like God sent his son, because that's what the God who is on mission does. The great fish that swallowed God's prophet was chosen and appointed by God to do that task. And God has been moving since Jonah started to get his prophet to Nineveh. It was at God's initiative that Jonah was commissioned to go in the first place. That was all God's idea. Remember, Nineveh was not asking for this, and Jonah was not volunteering for it. But neither Nineveh or Jonah call the shots in the universe, do they? So God's will is what's going to be accomplished. God's appointing work is a testimony to us that he is involved in humanity, even down to the details. He will accomplish his ultimate will of decree. Listen to how these passages describe the sovereign reign, the sovereign prerogative of our God. Isaiah 46, 8 through 11. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Now in that text, God is about to describe what it is precisely that makes him unlike anyone or anything else. He says, and there is none like me, declaring. So not merely knowing ahead of time, but declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. So not someone else's. My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. That would be over against the purposes of man and the devil. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. So God doesn't just plan or design. God works. He follows through. I have purposed and I will do it. So when God reveals that there is no one like him, what he is revealing specifically is that no one else is sovereign. You couldn't have two sovereigns. There's, There's one sovereign. And it's God. No one else's ultimate will is going to run the universe. Nobody else's will is going to trump God's. His purposes and not someone else's will stand because he alone is God. It's part of his godness that his purpose is what will stand. God is ultimate over all things, all people, all plans, all rulers, all designs. Everybody in this room that believes in God and his word believes this, right? So we're not talking about something really even debatable here. We all believe those things. And I'm not, I, I just want you to know because it, it concerns me. I want to always preach what's in the text, even if it's difficult. But I'm not personally comfortable with any system that claims to have this all figured out. I just, I, I, I spent so much time in my youth, um, and by that I mean the youth of being in ministry, um, trying to figure all this out. And landing in one camp rather than the other and being so dogmatic and heavy handed about the fact that everybody has to see it this way or, or we're seeing it wrong. And there are men that I read and followed at that time that I'm being honest with you. I, I, I wouldn't cross the street to hear most of those guys preach now. You know, and, and it's, it's not, they're better preachers than me. That's not what I mean. But, but this, I think that damages people when you try to make it so black and white 
that you're in this camp or the other, and if you don't see it like the other guy sees it, or that you know that, that you're somehow not Orthodox or not Christian. And I think, how did God become that easy to figure out that you're in the right camp or the wrong camp, and and you would just demonize each other and we talk past each other? And I just so that that's that's not what I'm after tonight. What I'm after is in the text God appoints, and so it's it's just. What are the implications of such a thing for us in everyday life? Now, why does When we read that, how do we learn from that? What do we learn from that? When we discuss God, we're dealing with a completely different plane of existence, aren't we? We're just dealing with a whole different category. There are no comparisons, really. I mean, there are no categories from earth that we can put God in and explain Him fully. And we generally understand things through categories, right? If, if, I, if, if you didn't know what a rabbit was, and I tried to tell you what a rabbit was, what would I probably do? I would describe it using categories. I would say, well, it, a rabbit is a, a small animal. And your brain would go, small and animal. It, it would put those things in classes. It's furry, right? So your brain would say, okay, furry, so i got small animal. i got furry. It has a little face and four legs and little feet. It might be brown or gray or white. And so from those words, because we have categories for color and size and all that, we could come up in our minds, even if we'd never seen one, of this composite of what a rabbit might look like. How do you do that for God? I mean, if it, if, again, and if it wasn't for Christ coming and revealing who God is to us, what could we do? What categories could we have? There's nothing really we can point to that's holy, in and of itself, or that sovereign in and of itself, or, um, you know, omnipotent in and of itself. We just don't have those kinds of things readily available. The only category sufficient to understand who God is, is His Son. So we have this sovereign God who then sends His Son to save sinners, to seek and to save the lost. So sovereignty, whatever it is, ultimately, yes, it decrees but it also seeks out and protects, for example, a woman caught in adultery from being stoned to death, eats with tax collectors and sinners, says, all you who are weary and heavy laden to come to me, right? So there's no tension for Jesus between God being sovereign and Him inviting people to come. There's no tension, not because He's God and He understands how that works. But, beloved, He's bigger than all the categories. And if we try to just stuff God in some categorical box, he's just going to tell a donkey to tell us to take him out of it, right? He's just, he's just, impo- he's just so big. In Isaiah 45, 7, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I mean, that's, that's there. Do you understand? That's there. You know, what, what do we do with that? I don't understand that. I am the Lord who does all these things. It's in Amos. Uh, Amos or Lamentations when God says, has evil befallen a city and the Lord has not done it? I, what, how do we understand these things? God describes himself as sovereign over the entire spectrum of humanity, over the whole universe. That's why you get texts like Romans eleven thirty three through 36. Paul just comes to the end of all that and says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments? How inscrutable are his ways? For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to become his counselor? 
Who has given a gift to him that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. And all things there in the Greek means all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So God is sovereign. He reigns. He will forever and always be source and cause. We will always be result and effect. The Scriptures converge to teach us this, and God does not change. Malachi 3.6, that's not how God used to be. He changed His mind. He became a different God when Jesus came. It's, it's, no, it's, it's, it's as Isaiah reveals, this sovereign power of God is, is part of His divine essence. And I, I, don't, I don't understand it. I don't get all the implications and the realities, yet the Word of God stands. It stands. But here's the real issue as it pertains to Jonah. Right? Consider this whole story. What are God's sovereign authority and ordaining control doing? So when we hear that, which at, at the beginning can be a scary thing to consider, when we see God's sovereign hand at work in Jonah, what is it doing? What is it for? He's ultimate over the wind and the waves. He's ultimate over people and nature. We get that, but what is he doing? Why is he moving so much and so relentlessly in Jonah, in the world? That, that's what the, the Old Testament is showing us, is that God is just moving the whole time to, to, to accomplish his design, his will. Even though Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh, right? Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. What does he keep doing to him? He's taking the man to Nineveh, even if it takes animate and inanimate nature to get him there. It is the ultimate purpose of God that will stand, not man. What God wants most to happen is what's going to happen. Now, that's either very comforting or very threatening. And that depends on our picture of God. And I would say when it gets scary, when it gets unnerving, the picture of God we need is Christ. That's, that's the, that's the, one of the reasons Christ is there. He is, as Colossians teaches, reconciling all this for us. If God has that level of sovereign control and acts according to His purpose in a complete and ultimate way, is that good news or bad news for humanity? Again, you just pull all the way back. Who do we actually want on the throne of the universe? One of us or Him? A God that would send His Son to pursue sinners. Should we reject this or embrace it? Should we love this or hate it? Should we open our hearts or should we turn our backs in disgust and frustration and run away when God gets hard to understand, like Jonah, who amazingly found God's desire to bring his word to Nineveh, repulsive. Jonah looked at God's will, looked at what he thought and what he believed, and he found a ship to Tarshish. Jonah would rather have died. He would have rather died than go to Nineveh. But since Jonah's not sovereign, and God has his way, Jonah doesn't. Right? Jonah doesn't. God does. God is determined that Nineveh will be evangelized. Right? And he's also uh, determined that Jonah will be the prophet to do it, not somebody else. If God let man override his ultimate will and deferred his sovereignty to humanity, nobody would get saved. Right? Nobody. God's purposes and designs would be constantly frustrated and interrupted. And it, it should comfort us that that's not ultimately going to be the case. Again, how all that shakes out, I genuinely don't understand. But it will happen. The, the, the sovereignty of God then is so beautiful and so comforting. 
it, it's, it's, it's almost unbelievable that a holy God, ineffable and glorious, one who dwells in unapproachable light, would decide to save those who rebel against him. Whoever calls out for grace will have it in Jesus Christ. We cannot then let sovereignty taint our view of God. There's, there's no salvation without it. There would be no hope without it. We pray like we believe He is. Even if we're not thinking in those categories, which we don't have to be, but I guarantee you everybody in this room prays like they believe that God is sovereign. God, please save my unbelieving family member. We don't go to them and pray to them. We pray to God. Save them. Make them see. Please cause them to believe in you. We, we pray for, for folks that are suffering and, and sicknesses and things. We pray when we travel. God, protect us. Well, how is God going to do that? He's going to keep cars from crossing over into our lane. He, he's going to keep things from happening and cause things to happen. While at the same time, people are free to make their own choices. Yeah, I mean, there's tension there. There's tension there. I think we should just let it be tense, right? It might require some faith to believe in this God, right? So we don't want it to taint our view of Him. God's sovereignty is not benign and cold. It's it's as missional and as loving as it is complete and irrefutable. You know, I, I... when, when, when we read John 3.16, I don't want to play games with that text because of other categories. God loves the world, and whoever believes in Him will be saved. Period. Right? That doesn't make Him any less sovereign. It's just how those two things are true at the same time. Sometimes it's hard to understand. And I think that's what we want to see in this appointing work of God, how God's sovereignty is for our benefit, for the benefit of the world, it can be a very difficult thing to embrace or even to understand. But by the way, come to the text for everything. And don't take my word for anything. Beloved, you get in the word. You read the text. You, 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 you test everything I say by the word of God. And where Tony says one thing and the word says another, I guarantee you I am wrong. I promise. So just stay in the word of God. And, and, and let the whole thing speak. Let all of it stand. Come to the text and believe what you read by grace through faith. And, and I think I think that's how we start moving towards what here will suffice as an answer. Because God is not hiding from you. He's not trying to hold you at arm's length. Embrace the beauty of God's sovereignty then. Because the place where it's most stunning, the place where it is most stunning and most confusing, but most visible and most clearly defined, is the cross of Jesus Christ where salvation was purchased for all who believe, regardless of their past, regardless of their pedigree. Hear God's word again. This is Acts 4, 23-28. When they, Peter and John, were released from the Jewish council, by the way, they went, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, this little band of believers, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. So, there it is. Right? They hoped in this. Sovereign Lord. So they believe God is sovereign and they're still praying. Right? Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed for truly. Right, so here's the ultimate fulfillment of what he just quoted, which is Psalm 2, or what they quoted when they prayed. For truly, in this city, were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The, the murder of Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. If it was not then for the predestinating in this instance, sovereign will and decree of God, there would be no cross, which means there would be no salvation for anybody, let alone complete salvation for an innumerable assembly. So, beloved, if God can ordain and see down to the details the murder of His own Son, nothing else is off the table when it comes to sovereignty. Right? I mean, if, if, if that is planned and predestined by God, the worst evil that was ever perpetrated. And God is not the source of evil. right? God, God, there's no evil in God. God is not sinning by planning and predestinating this, but that's what the text said He did. So just, how? I don't know. We just, you just got to let that tension stand. We esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. It was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. That's Isaiah 53. Smitten by God. God's sovereign persistence in Jonah then is a whisper about his power and will to save. And the cross is the echo. His missional sovereignty, moving Jonah, moving nature, to get his reluctant prophet to Nineveh to proclaim his word then are a foreshadowing of the day when he would move history, all those Romans, all those Gentiles, all those Jewish people, to get his willing son to Calvary to purchase redemption for his enemies. So whatever we can say about it, God's sovereignty is the fuel that ignites salvation. It's the source of that offer to whosoever will may come of the message of salvation and new life for sinners. So the sovereign God is not on some capricious power trip like Zeus or something. He's not messing with people, capriciously making them miserable and empty. God's sovereign authority has been unleashed on the world to do what? To bring merciful salvation to whosoever will receive it. So without the sovereignty we see in Jonah and all through Scripture, there's just no hope. There's just no hope. There's no salvation. We can't do it on our own. We can't climb our way back into heaven. We cannot do those things. If God doesn't unilaterally act of His own initiative to save, we perish. That's why I think it's worth it to linger on sovereignty in Jonah when we see it, because I I want us to be able to see it as the backbone of salvation. It's, It's not only central to the story, it's central to us. Keep in mind, if God doesn't act here, Jonah ends... There's no book of Jonah. There's just, he didn't want to do it, so it didn't get done. That, that This time, that's not the way it worked. And there's a reason for that. And it, it's, it's amazing that that idea pops up in Jonah, where you have this reluctancy of this prophet so clearly woven into the whole book. We're limited in our understanding. God is not limited in his godness. 
If God would not have done to me what he did to Jonah, I would have sank beneath the waves of my own wickedness and rebellion and drowned a long time ago. Without the appointing of the great fish, there is no rescue. Without the appointing of Jesus in Acts 4, there is no salvation because salvation is of the Lord. He has to do it, not us. That's Jonah. It's Jonah where we learn that. Chapter 2, verse 9, sin is a curse. It's death. It's not a mere uh, disorder in our brains. Without God's sovereign initiative to come and save us, to act for us, the only thing we're going to get from God is justice. Right? If, if we demand that God be fair, we all go to hell. And, and, and just, just start there. Say, okay, it, you know, fair is not, don't pray for fair. Don't pray, just, would you please give me what I deserve? No. No. Don't pray that. Don't pray that. <laughs> if God doesn't appoint a fish, Jonah drowns. And if God doesn't appoint His Son, nobody is saved. Beloved, we're on the broad path that leads to destruction until Jesus steps into the road in front of us and saves us. Saves us. And that's what He does. And so we, we offer that freely to everyone. Right? I, I, we just don't limit God on either side of the sovereignty argument. Just do what Jesus did and invite people to believe. <laughs> God, will, God will shake it out. The book of Jonah will reveal Jonah's heart. It will reveal God's heart. The holy and sovereign one who was moved with pity for the great city of Nineveh that was so full of brutal, carnal, vicious, idolatrous sinners. Thank God we're not God. Because if we look at Nineveh, what do we do? We carpet bomb it. And there's a time and a place for that. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying, we, we're not going to be moved with pity. And a God who is sovereign, obviously sovereign in Jonah, wants us to know at the end of the book that what moved him towards that city was pity. God brings up the cattle for crying out loud at the end of Jonah. He says, should I not care about this city where there are so many people and a bunch of cattle? So there's, this is the sovereign God talking, saying that. So, so he's God filled with anger every day and wrath, and he's moved with pity every day and mercy. How those two things coexist, I don't know, but that's why we write songs and poems and try to preach because it's just so beautifully intricate and deep. We just fall off the waterfall of language. There are no words ultimately for who God is. There just aren't. Jeremiah 10.23, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. So we don't write our own stories ultimately, right? I mean, we, we, we just don't. And, and nothing is more offensive, I know that. Nothing is more offensive to sinful human beings. We believe that we are the ultimate masters of our fate, that we are the captain of our souls. And I mean, in a sense, yeah. I mean, in a sense, you and I are, we control or, 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 or direct and we make choices and all this. And I understand that and don't refute any of that, but... Humanity is not sovereign. Right? It, Jonah did not write his own story, and our God has not changed. But in this is great comfort. In this about God is great comfort. Because this merciful, missional sovereignty of God brings about salvation. Job in 42 2 found out that no purpose of God's could be thwarted. Thank God. Thank God. 
So if God's purpose then is to save sinners, His sovereignty is very good news for sinners. Before I close, just let me address something as quickly as I can because some of us might wonder when we talk about things that tend to get a little, can get controversial or deep, um, should we focus on things like that? Should we focus on aspects of God's character that are so hard to understand or have the potential to be so confusing? And that's a, that's a great question. That's a great question. I would go to Romans 11.22 when I try to think through that where God is talking about his, his, his design and Israel in the world through Paul. And there's this sentence there. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. So I think it's best to focus most of our time and attention on the kindness of God, but there is some severity there that we, we don't want to be blind to. Think, think of it like this. If you have a stove in your house and you have little kids and you take the kids to the stove and you say, um, this is a great invention. If we turn on the power or we turn on the gas, it, it heats things up for us so that we can eat our food. It makes crunchy you know, macaroni and spaghetti into soft pasta and we can eat it and it boils water for us. It's, it's wonderful. And then you just pat them on the back and send them away. Would that be loving? Would that be a loving thing to do to tell your kid that that's all, this, that's all there is to know about a stove? No. Because you love them, what do you also tell them about the stove? When it is hot, don't touch it. When you see the blue flame, don't go near it. Don't mess with these dials. Don't turn it on, right? Electricity is a wonderful thing, but you don't put forks in outlets. You don't, you, daddy will plug that in. Don't touch the cords, right? Kindness and severity. The loving thing of God to do is reveal everything about himself to us that he has in his word because he wants us to know. So I, I, I think it's worthwhile sometimes to focus on the things that are harder to understand. Sometimes it's good to focus on the deeper things or there's a need for the whole story on who God is. And again, this is something that's, that's real to all of us. We've all suffered. We've all gone through, some of us, some very traumatic things in our lives. So it's, it's, sometimes it's good to focus on the fact that in all of that, God is on His throne. Right? He, he knows. He's at work. And, and we can take refuge in this. When we read texts like, He who began a good work and you will complete it. We need to know that that has teeth in it. That's not just God saying, I mean, I hope, I'm going to try, I'm going to try to accomplish everything. No, he's, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And he's going to work through human means to do it. You know, he, he, he just is. I don't know how to rest in a God who isn't sovereign. Trust me, beloved, we want him on his throne and with complete authority that can override us when he wants to. You know, we, 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 we need to be okay with that. God wouldn't let his message for Nineveh drown in the ocean with Jonah. He wouldn't let that happen. He is sovereign and he is on mission. Now, that's the book of Esther. Naaman, and, or not Naaman, uh, Haman and all those guys, they, they, they had a plan and God said, no, the, the line is not going to die out here in Babylon because I'm going to bring my son into the world. I promised Abraham that I was going to do this. I promised back in the garden that 
the seed of the woman who crushed the serpent's head, you guys are not going to be able to follow through on your plan. I'm going to stop it. We, we want God to do that when God wants to do that. You know, we, we, we just, and, and all the other stuff that comes with it that we just can't explain and understand. Because I, I don't think there's a single verse in this Bible that isn't true. And I don't want to play games. I don't want to, because I don't want to be squeezing everything into a category. It's just, let's just let it stand. Let's just let it stand. God is sovereign and God is on mission to save whoever wants him. And so he will not let his eternal purpose to have a redeemed people for himself shipwreck ultimately on the weakness of human will. He won't do it on the frailty of human beings because salvation belongs to the Lord. There's a tremendous irony in the story of Jonah that although Jonah has the privilege of being in direct communication with God, he refuses to learn from God's word, so he has to be taught by natural events. I mean, what do you figure he's thinking? As night one passes and night two passes, I mean, what was that like in the belly of a great fish? One of the best renderings of it on film is actually the veggie tales. I mean, don't get your theology from the veggie tales, but there's this great picture they have, but they sing this little song, which probably didn't happen in the belly of the fish, but where there's this one little zoom in on the cross, like the, the pier of a ship makes a cross, and so there's some, they see it, you know, they see something in that. That was kind of cool. I try to get the kids when they're little to see it. Look, it's the cross. They don't care. It's singing cucumbers, and you're not going to overcome that, so... But the storm and the fish teach him that he cannot escape God's commission. And that his attempts to run away from God are pointless and effective, ineffective. For every action Jonah takes, God acts in return, and ultimately God always wins. The appointed fish was a means to God's end. They, they are evidences of God's missionary-fueled sovereignty. Right? God's power moves the world to get his message proclaimed. And as Jonah will arrive in Nineveh by God's design, having been a rebel himself, having needed mercy himself, the mission today is carried out by not by people who've earned the grace they've been given and launched out into the world to display their virtue and success. Rather, still, God brings rebellious people who were once rebelling against him into the world to carry his message of grace, because he wants sinners to know they are free to come to God if they desire him. He wants them to know that. God's decreed that once rebellious sinners who have been delivered from death by his sovereign grace through the death of Jesus are the ones that bring this grace to the world. So God is not just sovereign. That's not all there is to say about him. And, and we, beloved, we are too small to pull that attribute of God out and make it the one that shapes all the other ones. There are many attributes of God in Scripture. We're talking about this one because we see this word appointed so many times in Jonah. We can't just ignore it. God is full of mercy and He's full of love and kindness and grace. He's moved with pity for us. He chooses to pursue us, to make provision for us with the blood of His own Son and save us. We were meant to be saved, to be moved by these things. This is the most amazing truth in the whole universe that God is like this that he loves sinful people. It wasn't meant to be a little five-minute tract that we add on to the lives we were living before we knew Jesus, right? The missional sovereignty, the merciful pursuit, the merciful rescue of us by God when we deserve nothing but the opposite was meant to redefine our existence 
for the sake of Him who loves us. Beloved, God loves this world. He is not willing that any should perish. And Jesus Christ will see from the travail of His soul and be satisfied. Jesus doesn't say, I hope one day to, to, for there to be one flock and one shepherd. He says, there will be one flock and one shepherd. He will win. The resurrection is God's announcement to the world that all God intends to do ultimately will absolutely come to pass and He cannot be defeated. He cannot be defeated. He cannot be turned back. The greatest power in the world, death, has nothing on Him. God is sovereign over death. Remember that when we suffer. That if we suffer to the point of death, God is not then unable to raise us from it. It's the whole point, or the point for us immediately in the resurrection. Jesus said, put me in the belly of the earth, he's saying, when he offers himself up. It can't contain me either. The mission of God to save sinners will succeed. And he has chosen us and raised us up to join him in what moves his heart. We're a sent people. So, if God has plucked you out of the ocean, be defined by the mission and mercy of God. And if you're flailing in the ocean of sin this evening, you need to know that Jesus walks on the water. And he calms the storm. That's his business. That's what he does. Believe on Jesus and be saved. Beloved, I, I, I would encourage you tonight, stay in the Word of God. Stay in the Word of God. And, and just as an aside again, I am always here to talk to. Always. And when we work through stuff sometimes in the Scripture, if we bump up against something that's tough and it's hard and you have questions for me, beloved, we can sit down and talk anytime. All right? Anytime. And even if we part disagreeing with each other on some of the finer points of these things, we are not enemies. We are not enemies. There is much we can agree to disagree on. Okay, so, so I pray that when we, we, we talk about deep truths or heavy truths, that I hope it hasn't been, I don't think I've said anything that any of us would disagree with tonight. It's just sometimes this stuff is hard to understand the implications of it. And that's all right. That's all right. I look forward to the day when we get into the new heavens and the new earth and Jesus is kind of smiling at us for all the silly things we debated and got dogmatic on when he, you know, like it was, it was ever going to happen that we would have figured it all out anyway. So I thank God that, that he's sovereign and that he's loving. I thank him very much for that. I pray that that's what we'll take with us this evening because it's so crucial to the book of Jonah. It's so crucial, to, which, which makes it a thing so crucial to this missionary aspect of God. I thank Him for it. I'm going to pray, beloved, to close us. Uh, if any of you need to come and pray, I'll be here in the front, and I'm sure that if, if you need others to come and pray with you, they will. Uh, and then, As we sing this invitation, and then I'll, I'll pray at the end and we'll be done. Okay, so let me pray for us now. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, the Word incarnate. Father, let everything fall under the umbrella of Jesus. Let all of it, Father. I, I pray that we would not ever become a presumptuous people or a, a self-righteous people or an arrogant people. Father, I thank you so much for that. I thank you for the spirit that is here, Lord. I, I pray that, Father, you would um, watch over us tonight as we think on your word, on this appointing that you do, and may we see it in light of who you are, not in light of our categories. And I pray, Father, that those who don't know you this evening would understand what Jesus has done for them, that they might receive this great salvation 
simply by believing. Lord, there's not a person in this room or any other room anywhere in the world right now that if they come to you, you will turn them away. It will not happen. And so, Father, I pray that the one that may be considering you tonight would be able to come. This I ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.